Book Three, Chapter One of the Mermaid. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mermaid, by Lily Dougal. Book Three, Chapter One. How he hunted the seals. At this time on the top of the hills the fishermen were to be seen loitering most of the day, looking to see if the seals were coming. For at this season the seals, unwary creatures, come near the islands upon the ice, and in the white world their dark forms can be descried a long distance off. There was promise of an easy beginning to seal-fishing this year, for the ice had not yet broken from the shore on the seaward side of the island, and there would not at first be need of boats. Caius, who had only seen the fishermen hanging about their doors in lazy idleness, was quite unprepared for the excitement and vigour that they displayed when this first prey of the year was seen to approach. It was the morning after Madame Le Maitre had returned to her home, that Caius, standing near his own door, was wondering within himself if he might treat her like an ordinary lady and give her a formal call of welcome. He had not decided the point when he heard sounds as of a mob rushing, and looking up the road that came curving down the hill through the pine thicket, he saw the rout appear. Men, women, and children, capped and coated in rough furs, their cheeks scarlet with the frost and exercise, their eyes sparkling with delight. Singly down the hill and in groups they came, hand in hand, or arm in arm, some driving in wooden sleighs, some of them beating such implements of tinware as might be used for drums, some of them shouting words in that queer Acadian French he could not understand, and all of them laughing. He could not conceive what had happened. The place that was usually so lonely, the people that had been so lazy and dull, everything within sight seemed transformed into some mad scene of carnival. The crowd swept past him greeting him only with shouts and smiles and grimaces. He knew from the number that all the people from that end of the island were upon the road to the other end, and running after with hasty curiosity, he went far enough to see that the news of their advent had preceded them, and that from every side road or wayside house the people came out to join the riotous march. Getting further forward upon the road, Caius now saw what he could not see from his own door, a great beacon-fire lit upon the hill where the men had been watching. Its flame and smoke leaped up from the white hill into the blue heaven. It was the seal-hunting, then, to which all the island was going forth. Caius, now that he understood the tumult, experienced almost the same excitement. He ran back, donned clothes suitable for the hunt across the ice, and mounting his horse rode after the people. They were all bound for the end of the island on which the lighthouse stood, for a number of fish-sheds, used for cooking and sleeping in the fishing season, were built on the western shore not far from the light, and from the direction in which the seals had appeared, these were the sheds most convenient for the present purpose. By the time Caius reached the sheds, the greater number of the fishermen were already far out upon the ice in boots and caps of the coarse grey sealskin, with guns or clubs and knives in their hands, they had a wild and murderous aspect as they marched forward in little bands. The gait, the very figure, of each man seemed changed. The slouch of idleness had given place to the keen manner of the hunter. On shore, the sheds, which all winter had been empty and lonely, 
surrounded only by curling drifts, had become the scene of most vigorous work. The women, with snow-shovels and brooms, were clearing away the snow around them, opening the doors, lighting fires in the small stoves inside, opening bags and hampers which contained provision of food and implements for skinning the seals. The task that these women were performing was one for the strength of men, but as they worked now their merriment was loud. All their children stood about them shouting at play or at such work as was allotted to them. Some four or five of the women, with Amazonian strength, were hauling from one shed a huge kettle, in which it was evidently meant to try the fat from certain portions of the seal. Caius held his horse still upon the edge of the ice, too well diverted with activity on the shore to leave it at once. Behind the animated scene and the row of grey snow-thatched sheds, the shore rose white and lonely. Except for the foot-tracks on the road by which they had come, and the peak of the lighthouse within sight, it would have seemed that a colony had suddenly sprung to life in an uninhabited arctic region. It was from this slope above the sheds that Caius now heard himself hailed by loud shouting, and looking up he saw that O'Shea had come there to overlook the scene below. Some women stood around him. Caius supposed that Madame Le Maitre was there. O'Shea made a trumpet of his hands, and shouted that Caius must not take his horse upon the ice that day, for the beast would be frightened and do himself harm. Caius was affronted. The horse was not his, truly, but he believed he knew how to take care of it, yet, as it belonged to a woman, he could not risk disobeying this uncivil prohibition. Although he was accustomed to the rude authority which O'Shea assumed whenever he wished to be disagreeable, Caius had only learned to take it with an outward appearance of indifference. His mind within him always chafed. This time the affront to his vanity was worse because he believed that Madame Le Maitre had prompted, or certainly permitted, the insult. It did not soothe him to think that, with a woman's nervousness, she might have more regard for his safety than that of the horse. The brightness died out of the beautiful day, and in a lofty mood of ill-used indifference he assured himself that a gentleman could take little interest in such barbarous sport as seal-hunting. At any rate, it would go on for many a day. He certainly had not the slightest intention of dismounting at O'Shea's command in order to go to the hunt. Caius held his horse as quiet as he could for some ten minutes, feigning an immense interest in the occupation of the women, then leisurely curveted about and set his horse at a light trot along the ice close by the shore. He rode hastily past the only place where he could have ascended the bank, and after that he had no means of going home until he had rounded the island and returned by the lagoon. The distance up to the end was seven miles. Caius rode on under the lonely cliffs where the gulls wintered, and threading his way upon smooth places on the ice, came, in the course of not much more than an hour, up to the end of the cliffs, crossed the neck of the sandbar, and followed the inward shore till he got back to the first road. Now, on this end of the island very few families lived. Caius had only been upon the road he was about to traverse once or twice. The reason it was so little built upon was that the land here belonged entirely to the farm of Madame Le Maitre, which stretched in a narrow strip for a couple of miles from O'Shea's dwelling to the end of the island. The only point of interest which this district had for Caius was a cottage which had been built in a very sheltered nook 
for the accommodation of two women, whose business it was to care for the poultry which was kept here. Caius had been told that he might always stop at this lodge for a drink of milk or beer, or such a lunch as it could afford, and being thirsty by reason of hard riding and ill-temper, he now tried to find the path that led to it. End of Book 3 Chapter 1 Recording by Bill Borst